Our first Bible reading is from the book of Two Kings, and it's chapter 4 and verses 1 to 7, and can be found on page 371 of your church Bibles or on the screen in front of you. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two sons as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing here at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, Go round and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She, said, she went and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading can be found in um, Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, um, verses 1 to 8. And it can be found on page 1052 of the um, Bibles um, next to you. So that's Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see she gets justice, so she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. I haven't always been 
the incredible Greek Adonis of a man you see before you. That's not meant to be a joke. No, when I was at school, I was a little bit of a geek, um, believe it or not. I was uh, scared of everything. Particularly, I was scared of girls. Uh, they were a, a species unknown to me completely. And uh, this one time in particular, I was in Tesco shopping uh, and I was getting dessert and I spotted a Jamaican ginger cake uh, and I thought that, that is the cake for me. Uh, and as I picked up the Jamaican ginger cake at the far end of the aisle, this girl appeared. Her name was Marianne McNally. I have changed her name for reasons you are about to understand. Marianne McNally was the girl in my school that every girl wanted to be like and every guy wanted to be with. She was the year above me as well, which made it even more petrifying. And as I went to turn and walk away with my Jamaican ginger cake, something incredible happened. Marianne raised her hand and waved and said, Hi, Lee. And the 16-year-old version of me replied, Hi, Marianne. Now, now, that would have been fine if I just sounded like an idiot, but I also did something slightly more idiotic than that. In my 16-year-old vigor, I waved incredibly forcefully at Marianne, and the hand that had held the Jamaican ginger cake no longer held the Jamaican ginger cake. In fact, the cake was flying towards Marianne's face at a speed no cake has flown before. And as it moved closer to smashing into her face, my whole world stopped. Everything stood still. And all I could say was, Lord, help me. There is nothing that I can do. A few years ago, uh, my wife was in labor uh, in Stevenage Hospital. We were in the last 100 meters, if you like, of the process. I was utterly exhausted. It had been hours at the stage. <laughs> and at that point, at that point, some nurses came in to check everything was going okay, uh, and they put on a, a, a monitor, uh, and they discovered that we had lost the baby's heartbeat. And in that moment, uh, lots of stuff started to happen very quickly. Some surgeons ran in, the bed started to get moved down the corridor, everyone got into scrubs and went into an operating theater. And they closed the doors behind my wife uh, and the rest of the surgeons, and a midwife stuck her head out the door and said, we're going to do everything we can to save them both. And in that moment, my whole world stopped. All I could say was, Lord, help me. There's, there's just nothing I can do now. Every year, 117 million people around the world have a condition that requires some sort of surgery. 117 million people will not get the surgery that they need, and they will die because of that condition. A condition which in this country is treatable, preventable, or curable. 17 million is a huge number, it's hard to comprehend. That's more deaths than HIV, TB, and malaria put together. 17 million is more than the populations of London, Manchester, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Cardiff, Swansea, Belfast, and Dublin put together. For 117 million people, a minor condition something that is innocuous to us in this country, will have their whole world standing still and leave them simply saying, God, help me. There's just nothing that I can do. 16 years ago, Marianne McNally's face was in grave danger. My prayers, however, were answered. For waiting in the wings was Dermot Devlin, whose name I've also changed. <laughs> Dermot was the boy in my school that everyone wanted to be like and every girl wanted to be with and he was in the year above me as well So he was quite scary, but Dermot 
in a scene reminiscent of Bodyguard, dove out in front of the Jamaican ginger cake and took it squarely to his masculine chest. Marianne's face was saved. God had answered my prayer. A few years ago in Lister Hospital, after nine minutes and 32 seconds that I swear felt like an eternity, the midwife popped her head back out and said, don't worry, it's all gone fine, your wife's okay and you've got a baby boy. In that moment, only those people were there to answer that prayer with the right skills at the right time, doing something and God moved in a way that I could do nothing about. Mercy Ships exists because of 117 million people every year crying out for someone to take some action and do a difference. And as we heard in the story of the persistent widow, God is not a bad judge. God is a good God and God wants to see those prayers answered. But in God's miraculousness, in a, in a wisdom that I cannot comprehend, God has decided that the church will be the answer to that prayer. That you will be the answer to that prayer. How many of you this morning, by show of hands, feel like an answer to prayer? Not many. So often in our lives, our worlds are standing still. We are praying for something. We are the persistent widow. What if the story isn't saying that? What if for a moment we're the judge? What if it's the prayers of our brothers and sisters? What if it's the prayers of our neighbors? What if it's the prayers of the rest of the church of God? And we are the ones not yet responding. What if we are the answer to prayer, but have not yet realized that? I, I went to a church uh, when I first lived in London. I walked in one day, and uh, it was a church of 700 people. Uh, and uh, I, it was called Praise Harvest Community Church. And I walked in, and it was a French-African-speaking church. And I realized very quickly I was the only non-French speaker and the only non-African in the entire building. I went in and sat down and started to enjoy it. And uh, Pastor Moses stands up and says, uh, if you're new to the church today, please stand up. Well, there was no way I was getting away with it, so I stood up. And he said, at last, our prayers have been answered. We prayed for years for Europeans to come to this church to help us understand how to connect with our brothers in the, in the neighboring houses. I've never before been called an answer to prayer, but I tell you what, the pressure's on in that moment. <laughs> if I couldn't work out how they were gonna connect, with the next village, I was in big trouble. But what a privilege, what an honor to, to suddenly be told that you're an answer to prayer. I'm here this morning to say to you, you are an answer to someone's prayer. Do you believe it? Hopefully you will by the end. The story of Elisha uh, is an incredibly encouraging story. You've got this widow. Uh, a widow whose husband was one of the prophets of the group that Elisha was working with, who's passed away. She has, uh, she's lost the person that she loved the most. She's lost the leader of her household. She's lost everything around her. She's in turmoil and she's thinking, what, what do I do? Then you add on top of that burden that her husband had got them into some sort of debt and that that debt was now needing to be collected. Then you add on to that that the debt is so big and she's so unable to pay it that the debtor, the creditor has decided what he's going to do is he's just going to take her two sons to be slaves because that will probably pay things off. She's in a point where literally having lost so much, she's about to lose everything else she has. And so cries out in prayer and says, Elisha, you're a man of God. What does God say we should do here? What's the plan? Because I've got nothing. And Elisha asks her a simple question. He says, what do you have? Now, if I'm her, I'm saying, well, Elisha, I just said to you a minute ago, I've got nothing. I've got nothing, and the bit I do get, I'm about to lose 
So come on, sort it out. Pull your socks up. What's God's answer to this? But Elisha says, what have you got? Because God wants us to know that he can move. God can do incredible things. God can do immeasurable things. God can do more than our minds could conceive to imagine. God can do so much in all of his holiness, in all of his greatness, and yet he wants us to take action and be part of that to facilitate that move to occur. If God moves on his own, that's incredible. If God asks his church to be part of it, then real people with real stories can tell the real story of how the living God has transformed their life. And when we can do that, we can see the kingdom grow. If God does it by himself, we can, we just, we're not going to tell anybody. That was great over there. Do you know how I know that's true? Because for 40 years, the people of Israel wandered through the desert. They were guided by pillars of smoke and fire and saw food fall from heaven and quails and all sorts of miracles. And one day their leader rocked off to have a little prey. And what did they do? They built a golden calf and worshipped it. What? If I'd seen the, the Red Sea part, I'm pretty confident I'd evangelize the world overnight. And yet the entire nation of Israel for 40 years, because they didn't buy into the story of God, they didn't believe that they were part of the story, they didn't believe in his promises, they had to wander for 40 years and continue to doubt and to doubt and to doubt. And a generation, a generation of people missed out on a blessing. There are three generations in the, in the tale of Israel at this point. The generation who were enslaved, the generation who were promised freedom, and the generation who received it. I'll tell you which generation I want to be in. I want to be in the generation that receives it. Because when we stand on the cusp of the boundary of Israel, we look out and we don't see giants. We see opportunity for God to move. And in this story, the widow is asked, what have you got? Got a little bit of oil? Is that going to solve it? She doesn't believe it is, but it's what she's got and she's brought it to the table. Just like the better known story of the little lad who brought his packed lunch and 5,000 people got fed. This lady brings what she's got to the table. And what does God do? God produces a mathematical equation that I cannot grasp or understand. She's told to send her sons out to collect jars. The passage is very specific on this. It says, don't just collect a few. Have more faith. Have more belief. Understand that God's going to do more than you think he might. Go and find all the jars you can find. Don't just collect a few. So the sons go out, they collect as many jars as they can gather together, and they bring them into the house. And what happens? They start to pour, and the jars fill. And another fills, and another fills, and another fills, and another fills. Imagine your front room covered in jars of oil, and it just keeps coming. For some of you who are a little bit OCD, this is a worse nightmare scenario about to appear. Imagine you move into the kitchen and jars are filling up and there are jars filling absolutely everywhere to the brim, to the brim, to the brim. And you turn to your sons and you say, bring me another jar. And the son goes, we haven't got any more. We've run out. And what happens? The oil stops instantly. God has asked us to be part of his story. He wants us to facilitate the move of God. And we go out in faith and we gather and we gather and we prepare and we prepare and yet God still has more. God still has more. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that if there were more jars, the oil would have continued. And yet the second, the second that they were not longer prepared for the move of God, the God had moved, stopped. Just like that. 
What I also love is that this wasn't a solo act. It wasn't just a widow and her sons seeing what they could do with God. Who had to get involved? The neighbors. You're a neighbor. You've got this widow. You know, she, you know her scenario. You know she's in debt. She's been crying about it for weeks. The sons come along. We need your jars. Hey, we need your jars. We need all of them. Empty whatever's in them. We need them. God doesn't call us as individuals to go and do it by ourselves. God calls us the church, the body of his people. The church is the solution. While, while I say that you are all an answer to prayer, you're an answer to prayer because you are part of something so huge, the body of Christ around the world. And so in the neighbors becoming involved, the whole community is impacted by this story. I know for generations, you can imagine the story being told again and again and again. Do you remember when Doris down the road made us give us all her jars and she had oil like you wouldn't believe? Because they were involved in the story, they will go on and they will tell the story even more. And so God wants us to be part of it so that we can share in that story and tell that story to see his kingdom advance beyond the simple act of a single miracle. But that single miracle in itself has abundance. What did the woman come and originally ask for? A problem to her debt crisis. What happened? There was so much oil that Elisha says, take that oil and pay off your creditors. Great, her prayer was answered with an incredible miracle. But just like the little boy in his packed lunch and the leftover baskets, God doesn't just provide what he has to, God provides what he wants to. And in that moment, Elisha says, Pay off your creditors, and you can live off the rest with your sons. She came and asked them to solve this, and God said, no, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. How often in our prayer life, and I've been really encouraged, by the way, having been here this morning at, at the earlier service as well, and seeing the Thy Kingdom Come stuff that you guys are engaging with, this incredible movement of the church globally committing in prayer. But how often do we, I know it happens to me all the time, in our own prayer life, pray for this, when what God really wants is way up here. Sounds ridiculous. Let me give you an example. I was at Spring Harvest uh, at Easter time, and uh, I listened to the story of a lady called Hei and Hei was in a North Korean intern camp, and she told her story, and it was phenomenal. If you get a chance to ever hear her, she's turning around the UK at the minute. She's just an unbelievable story of what she had to go through, but her faithfulness to God continued. And she asked us, and she led us in Korean to pray for peace between North Korea and South Korea. That was at Easter. And four and a half thousand of us prayed for that. And I'm sure many people have prayed for it before. And I'm not saying those prayers weren't valued on the way through. But just a few weeks later, everything that's happened in the news has begun to happen. Why is there a bit inside me that doesn't believe that the prayers caused it? Why is there a bit inside me that believes it's coincidence? Why is there a bit inside me that believes that perhaps that's not God? I think, I think it's in there because I just can't comprehend that God might have used us. I just can't comprehend that God might have asked a lady from North Korea to come and speak and tell her story and that four and a half thousand people caught a vision and prayed, and that then he might have done something of that because of all those things, and, and yet at the same time put all those things into motion. God's equation, his maths, his logic, is one that, the, that only the kingdom will grasp. And yet in that moment, we've seen something happen. And so I've got to believe, if I believe in God, that because we prayed, 
and we saw an answer to prayer, ergo, God answered prayer. <laughs> That's as simple as my faith gets. And in this moment, we see that a prayer was asked and a prayer was answered. The story that we heard in the New Testament of the persistent widow. Again and again and again, she came back and she prayed and she prayed and she asked and she asked and she asked and she asked. And, she asked. and we're told by Jesus that God is not a bad judge, he's a good judge. He will act, he will make a difference, he will transform. And I've had the great privilege uh, of traveling to uh, many parts of Africa uh, with mercy ships and others and seeing those prayers be answered. Seeing those prayers be answered in so many different ways. One, one very simple story was uh, we, we run a women's health project uh, which treats fistula. Uh, fistula is an illness that you will never have discovered in this country at all. Quite simply, it is when you have to go through childbirth uh, and the correct uh, facilities aren't there and you end up being in childbirth for days and days and days from obstructed childbirth. 90% of the time, the child will die and you'll give stillborn birth and in that process, you'll be injured in such a way that you're left incontinent for the rest of your life. And in that incontinence, you're unclean. And when you're unclean, you can be part of the society that you were part of. Often these women are left destitute and widowed. Their family will leave them, they'll be kicked out of their village and they'll be left to beg in the streets. I can't imagine what that must be like. I can't imagine how hard that must be. And that's something that can be solved with a 25-minute operation. And I've had the privilege of seeing woman after woman come out of those surgeries after years of prayer, waiting in anticipation. Is this it? Is this the miracle I've been waiting for? Because I've been to witch doctors, I've been to other medics in the country, I've sold everything to try and get help and I've not got it yet. Is this the thing that gets it? And this one lady in particular, Nala, a Muslim lady comes up to us at the end of her surgery. She's come back after three weeks. She's been completely healed. And she comes to us and says, I prayed for 13 years to my God for him to heal me and he did nothing about it. I came here and in a day, your God has saved me. Your God is bigger than mine. I now follow him. And in the simple act of answering the prayer of an individual, God's name has been glorified. God's name has been advanced. His kingdom has grown. And in that same country, as we were packing up after 10 months, the deputy president of the country stood on the dark side with our, uh, our team. And he said, I feel like when you came to our country, you unpacked Jesus onto the dark side. And now that you're packing up, I think you might be leaving him behind. We work in partnership with presidents of countries all across Africa, of all different faiths purely by invitation of them to come and serve their nation. They know that prayers are being cried out, but they don't know how to answer them. They don't have the facilities. They don't have the, the people on the ground to help. And what we want to do is demonstrate the love of God by showing them how we can take hand in hand a compassion and a passion for Jesus and a practical demonstration of what that can look like. And by going in open-handed like that, we've been invited back time and time and time again. This year in Cameroon, we've done over 24,000 surgeries and trained 1,800 healthcare professionals who will continue this work for years to come. In a few weeks' time, we head off to Guinea and we'll spend 10 months there, and then Senegal, and then Benin, and then we'll continue the story of trying to answer prayer for the 117 million people every year who continue to cry out. And so, what does that look like for a church 
I'm incredibly encouraged to be here this morning. You are actually, uh, St. Jude's, one of the longest partnering churches with Mercy Ships. Uh, it's been 15 years now that you've been supporting us. Uh, and by October, it'll be a 16th year. That actually makes you one of the longest supporting churches, not just in the UK, but globally, of the mission of Mercy Ships. And, and your continued commitment has transformed lives. And so as I say to you now, how do we respond to this? I know that this is a church that has already responded. But let's not for a second get complacent that there aren't more prayers to be answered and that there's not more we can do. And so very simply, what does God command of us? For me, I think it's three really simple things. The first one is very simple. It's just give. Give. There's, there's nothing we can do about where we're born, the privilege that we're born into. And we shouldn't feel guilty of that. We shouldn't feel guilty of what we've achieved or what we had because 99% of it wasn't us anyway. It just happens to be where we were born and the chances are put in front of us that we took. But what we can do is for those that haven't had those opportunities is to do something about it practically. And giving is a really simple way to do that. The other one is going. The African Mercy is a great example. It has 425 crew, uh, only half of whom are medical, by the way. And so we need people that are plumbers and carpenters and electricians and cooks and bakers and teachers and translators and finance people and HR staff and captains and first officers and second officers and third officers, apparently, and hairdressers. We have so many things on board. I say to people, look, whatever skill you think it is you've got or don't got, I guarantee we'll find something that you can do on the Africa Mercy because it's a whole village, a whole community of people. And just like that widow, you might be sitting there going, all I've got is this little bit of oil. I tell you what, if you put that oil in the hand of God, you'll be shocked at what you'll do with it. And the last one is really simple. It's pray. When the people of God pray, things happen. I believe that because a few weeks ago, we prayed for North Korea and South Korea and something happened. I believe it because I've seen it in the lives of individuals. I've seen people pray for transformation and it happened. I've seen people pray for years waiting for God and seeing nothing that they can see and then finally feeling an answer to that prayer has occurred and realizing that part of that journey was their persistence in their own life. Through prayer, we learn, we grow, we develop, we come closer to God, but we also mobilize God into action. And so, as we come together, let's pray for the work of not just Mercy Ships, but all of the different organizations that you support. It was such an encouragement to hear what's going on in, in other parts of the world, in Southeast Asia and in Japan, and, and realizing that, that you guys are connecting the church of God on a global scale. So let's pray. Yeah, God, we ask you that you will show us which prayers you want us to help answer. We ask God that we will come with the little oil that you've given us, that we come with whatever it is, God, that you have entrusted us with, and that we put it back at your feet, God, like a child asking their dad for pocket money to buy them a birthday present, God. We come humbly and simply saying we're ready to give. We pray, God, that with those gifts, those skills, those abilities, whatever they are, God, whatever you're prompting us to do, whether it be here at home or abroad, that you give us the courage, God, to stand, to believe in immeasurably more than we can imagine. We pray, God, that we will, we will gather empty jars around us in abundance, in preparation for what you might, might just do, God. We pray, God, 
for the crew of the African Mercy as they finish their time in Cameroon. We pray for the 1,800 people that they've trained that will continue this work. We pray for the government ministers there, God, that they will continue to invest in their people, to grow what is happening. And ultimately, God, we pray for the advancement of your kingdom. Above all else, God, we pray that your name be known, that your name be honored, and that your name be Lord. Jesus, we pray this in all your name. Amen.